We're going to go to the Holland Capitas fan hotline. Talk to our good friend uh, from DK Pittsburgh Sports. That would be Chris Carter. Uh, Chris, we'll start with uh, the uh, Pitt Panthers, who you cover, and uh, they brought in a receiver today. Is there anything you can tell us about this kid? Uh, yeah, it's actually a very interesting pickup because he comes from Hawaii, and uh, when you bring in a guy from Hawaii and Brandon Marion comes, immediately you're like, oh, his fingerprints are there. And uh, funny enough, you look on this guy's uh, um, this guy's profile page or Twitter profile page, and you see like one well, his pinned tweet is him thanking uh, or him thanking Brandon Marion for, for gambling on him because uh, this guy Mel- Muckley uh, Stovall he um, he was uh, he was kind of like a, a smaller slot receiver. He was very quick, you know, did some kick returns and punt returns. He started off at Cal, but then he got hurt. Then he ended up playing in like a you know, at, you know, outside of D1, but then uh, Brandon Marion brought him to Hawaii and coached him up in 2020, and uh, and now with Marion moving here, of course, coming back home to Pitt, uh, it makes sense because now this guy, Stovall, he's a, he's, a, he's a graduate transfer, so he's coming to Pitt, playing out his last year of eligibility, and uh, I think it's a pretty cool thing for him to get a chance, and, you know, uh, when you look at his numbers, you know, last year, D.J. Turner made a very similar move, you know, graduate transfer from Maryland, uh, you know, smaller guy, very explosive, good returner. And uh, we saw him jet up to be the number two receiver at Pitt very quickly. And he came in the summer, Paul. So looking at this guy, he has better numbers than what DJ was putting up in uh, um, at Maryland. So, you know, kind of encouraging to see this stuff and packing an already interesting room of wide receivers for Pitt is, uh, is Stovall. So he'll get his position coach to work with, and he'll get to work with Kenny Pickett for a year. So that's an uh, interesting move for Pitt, and uh, we'll see what other things are in store. Well, I think one of the interesting things, Chris, is that, you know, he did work with uh, Pitt's new receivers coach, so that will really help. But the one thing we've seen from Pat Narduzzi is he's not afraid to create competition, is he? Not at all. and That's, that's what you want, right, Paul? You want guys – to look over their shoulder, to push themselves. They think, you know what, I got to keep showing up early to the weight room every day because if, if I don't, I open the room for someone else to do that and then get ahead of me in the depth chart, have better reps this week in practice. And then the coaches say, hmm, what about that guy? So now, yeah, you put him in the mix. And, and you, you got to think, I mean, Pitt had interesting guys already there. You got Jordan Addison, who's an, uh, you know, a first-team, all-freshman all, all uh, you know, ACC guy. Then you had Tazier Mack who's coming back for a fifth. You got Trey Tipton who's coming back for a seventh year. And then you got Shockey Jack Ruiz. You got Jalen Barden. You know, you, you got guys all over the place that are very talented and pushing each other in different ways. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, and then you even got more freshmen coming in this year. It's going to be an exciting receiver room. And that's something that, that you want to see from that, from that group as well as the defensive front, which we know Pat Narduzzi is very good at assembling with all the talent that he's amassed. At defensive tackle, defensive end, um, the linebackers they have. So it's absolutely part of his formula, and, and that's a very good thing anywhere you go in college football. It absolutely is. I mean, I think that's the thing that you want. You're looking for, you know, building, um, you know, a program. You want to you have depth, and you want to make it so that nobody can really feel comfortable. I mean, that's how you get better. I mean, that's really the only way you get, you get better, right? Absolutely. You got to make sure that everyone, everyone's feeling the need to push each other because then when you have that competition, you, know, you always say that phrase, Paul, you know, oh, practice is much harder than the game because when you practice really hard, it shows up in the game. And, you know, when you're saying I'm practicing harder than I'm actually playing, it shows the competition in practice is pushing you that much. 
to say, hey, I got to get better here every single day. And then on game day, the routine that you've gone through, the route that you've ran, or the set, the pass set that you've gone into, or the pass rush move that you're using, all those things you've done a thousand times over with your teammates who push you to be better every single day. So when you're doing that and you're dealing with that competition there, it's much better for you than when you go out and you're playing ACC football and now you're playing Florida State and now you're playing Virginia Tech and you're playing these other programs who are doing the exact same thing as you. So anytime you can stack your room, go and do it. And Pat Narduzzi is certainly doing that right now. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing is that um... – you know, you, that you he's always done that. He has never been afraid to, you know, stack a room and, and basically say, hey, you know, you've got to earn your way onto the field. So uh, now they've had a little bit of a pause. Are they back playing yet in the spring or are they still paused? We haven't gotten any indication yet that they're back yet for spring ball. You know, I think it's just COVID protocols that happened, I think, like what, early in the week. So, uh, you know, you, they, they had to shut things down for just a little bit. Um, but we will see. I, I, I believe they're with the rules to like a week or so. So they're just taking it, taking it easy, making sure they're following the ACC protocols. But, you know, if nothing else has happened, because that's the other thing, we weren't given details if someone, test, if someone in the program tested positive, if someone was in contact with someone who tested positive, if it was a player, if it was a coach. But they, when they did the whole thing, they said, hey, let's just shut it down. Let's be careful. Um, and, and it's just a reminder, hey, people, we are still in a pandemic, you know, and these are these are kids in a, in a, on a football team. You know, they're taking all the precautions. Just a reminder, you know, I know the vaccine's out there. You know, if you've gotten your shots, great. But still, be careful. You never know if, you know, if, if what, what can actually hit you here. So um, they're, they're not practicing right now here, Paul, but I do expect them to be back soon, maybe next week, and get back to it. I do believe that they're planning to have an end of spring ball game is still on. Um, you, uh, you, you. Um, obviously, uh, it's been a, probably a, a week since we've talked to you. So, uh, another defection for Jeff Capel in the Pitt basketball program. I mean, you know, you, 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 you know, it's. Uh, I don't know that uh, what's his name, uh, Kolabali is is. You know, you're you're losing a superstar, but. It's starting to add up, isn't it? There's starting to be a little bit of an attrition. I mean, there absolutely is. Um, I, I get the sense that Kulabal is leaving for his own reasons. Now, there's, you know, you guys, I think Xavier Johnson and Tony, that was one thing. I think that there was, there was something else going on there that was an internal issue that they maybe had with the play, playing and how the team was being constructed or uh, you know, how they thought about their place in the program moving forward. But then, you know, Drumgool, you know, because, again, this is the, what, the fifth Pitt Panther to transfer and the uh, third starter. Drumgool, he was going somewhere else because he was never going to get time. He was, a, he was a shooting guard, and Ithiel Horton was already there. Nike Subande had proven that he was going to be good. And, you know, it wasn't – Drumgool wasn't going to be the guy here. Uh, now, T- Terrell Brown, that guy was – he just graduated. He had done his time. He wanted to move on. He was going back to San Diego State. San Diego State, great for him. Um, now, Kulabali, that is a head-scratcher because you're sitting here like, man, you were the starter for most of this year. You were the team center. And, and he did improve, I thought, as the year went on. Um, he was helping with, the, with helping with the high ball streams and, and setting up other players. He was a really good effort guy. Um, but, you know, sometimes, and we're seeing that with this with the transfer portal all over college basketball right now, Paul. It, it, it eclipsed over 900, I think, yesterday. And it goes up every, like, 10 minutes, I get because I, I follow – you know, uh, you know, verbal commitments 
uh, com, and you know you you follow their Twitter account, you'll get a new update every like five minutes about this guy's transferring, this guy's transferring, this guy's transferring. And it seems like it's the state of college basketball. If you're in a position where you took a scholarship to a college because you thought you would be the man there, and then it doesn't work out that you're the man there, and you're just like, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else where either I will be the man or if I see a better position with myself than I am here. And, and that's just a symptom of what we've seen develop over the last few years of just, you know, the transfer portal. You give kids a lot more – uh, a lot more ease of getting out of the out of a program and into another. Um, it, it's really a state of college basketball. Even the Blue Bloods, North Carolina, they lost a, a freshman five-star center who, you know, you thought he's going to be part of that team for the next at least the next two, three years before he goes to the NBA draft. Nope, now he's in the transfer portal. He's gone too. Um, is, is it, does it stink for Jeff Capel? Yep, because that's three starters out the window and five players, and he's got to do a lot of reconstruction. But – same time, how aggressive he can be in this transfer portal with all the players available. It's going to be interesting to see the kind of guys he can bring back and work with Femi Udakale and uh, Nike Sabande. And if he can get Justin Champagne back, you know, maybe you're looking like, hey, maybe you get a, a new set of guys there who can help in the front court and push this team a little bit more. But certainly questioning times. Just got to see how it plays out. I think Jeff Capel's got something up his sleeve, though, to restock and get Pitt, get Pitt to be competitive next year. We're talking with Chris Carter, DK Pittsburgh Sports. Uh, Chris, do you like what the Steelers have done so far in in their uh, in their you know off season uh, moves? Uh, well, Paul, I think I think part of that is uh, it's incomplete. Like I can't like I've been asked like grade what the Steelers have done in free agency. Like, well, that's like that's like grading a puzzle when you're three pieces into a thousand piece puzzle. Like, there's a lot of different things that have to happen. Um, you know, as far as you know, the as far as who they've been able to keep, you know, I said from the jump, Paul, they were going to be able to keep either Cam Sutton or Mike Hilton, but they weren't going to be able to keep both. They kept Cam Sutton, and I think it worked out because when you see Stephen Nelson on the move, Hilton can't line up outside and help you out there, but Sutton can, and then that gives you the flexibility where you know in the in free agency or in the draft, you can sign a guy that plays slot or outside cornerback, and wherever that guy doesn't play, you can slide. Cam Sutton to the other spot, but if you're if you had Mike Hilton, it has to be an outside cornerback, so that limits your flexibility there. Which is another reason why I was advocating that Cameron Sutton was probably was going to be the pick there. Um, the the loss of Tyson Alulu stinks for the Steelers because they need that depth, but it was you know it was kind of revealed that he went, he went back to Florida because that's where his family's been and they've been staying there since he's been in Pittsburgh. So. Uh, that was more of a decision from them. They tried to bring him back, but he just he said it wasn't a money issue. It was a family thing. So um, totally get that and that happening. Um, you know, Stephen Nelson is a big head scratcher. Is like, wow, could make that work. But I, I want to remind people, there's a lot of cornerbacks on the market right now. Richard Sherman, Casey Hayward, Brian Poole, you know, all guys and AJ Bouye is even there. All guys that you could look at and say they're still no one, no other teams are signing them too, including Stephen Nelson yet. So now you're wondering, okay, well. Can you get one of those guys with the $8.25 million you opened up with Steven Nelson? And I believe after restructuring Eric Ebron, that got their salary cap up to like $14 million, and I probably took a little bit of hit with some of the, the lower names that they've asked. I think the thing is, Paul, they haven't even come close to finishing what they're actually doing. And um, whatever whoever they sign next I think is going to be where they put their emphasis to say, hey, we signed a cornerback, we don't have to draft there early in the draft. Or we signed a center, we don't have to draft there early in the draft. I think that's their plan is to sort of 
see what the best deal I can get. Because, you know, a few years ago when they signed Tyson Alulu in the first place, that's what they did. They waited around until other teams bought up all these big name guys for huge money. They get this guy for a very reasonable price. He comes in, learns the system and becomes a very good player. And then they do the thing all over again. So um, if I was to grade it, I'd give it an incomplete because we got to see what the actual move is. But one thing's clear, Kevin Colbert is clearing out cap space for a reason. He's not doing it just so they can just say, hey, we got cap space, and then do nothing with it. Would you think it's a good move if they you know, were to sign Alejandro Villanueva and or James Conner? Uh, <laughs> my answer is about that. Uh, Alejandro Villanueva, on a vet minimum contract or something very tiny, sure. But anything that's along the lines of, you know, anything above five, six million dollars a year, I think would be a waste. We saw Villanueva last year. He didn't play too well. He's had a heck of a career. Um, And if someone wants to pay him, he can. But I think there's a reason no one paid him yet. Um, And uh, I wouldn't wouldn't break my bank for Alejandro Villanueva. James Conner, same deal. It's like, hey, this team's drafting a running back anyway. So if you want to come back on a really cheap contract, by all means do that because James Conner is the number two. Absolutely. I would take that any day. Um, he'd be a really, and we've seen that from him in the, in the past. Um, and that would give you some, a little bit more depth at running back whenever you draft a guy. And I'm fully committed to the idea that the Steelers are going to draft a guy in the first two rounds as a starter. Um, so you know, I'd say a little more yes to Conner, but both him and Villaway would have to be on super cheap deals. Um, you know, and, you know, or at least, at least do what Juju did and, and take a $2.4 million cap hit. So it's not crushing the Steelers salary cap at all to have them around. But again, Juju brings the value of being one of the best slot receivers in all of football. Uh, neither Connor or villain waiver are in that category for their position. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is they made it pretty clear at the end of the year that they thought they needed to move on from James Connor. Uh, yeah. You know, as much of a great story he is and everything else, just not quite mm-hmm. uh, what they need at running back, you know, and that's that's really what it comes down to. Um, you know, last question I have for you. I've asked several people, and, you know, I'm going to get your thoughts on it. Do you think that it is wise to pay $28 million to an outside linebacker like the Steelers are getting ready to do? I think if he's a game changer, I think that, yes. Uh, now, part of this has to be the construction of your team. I, I also think that $28 million, uh, as we understand it, Paul, is about to change drastically when this salary cap spikes. Um, you know, if they get to the point where you're talking like $210 million in salary cap next year, then you're saying, well, actually, that kind of makes a lot of sense. And that's where the NFL is going with paying defenders. Um, and, and what I'm interested to see, Paul, is how does that make the roster constructed over the next few years, because you can pay guys like that when you don't have a $40 million quarterback. And in the next few years, the Steelers won't have a $40 million quarterback because Ben Roethlisberger most likely will be retired. And we've seen a lot of teams, they make aggressive moves when they have quarterbacks on rookie contracts or quarterbacks that don't require a lot of money on on hand. Um, and, And they do things like that. So I think for the next era of what the Steelers football is going to be, because um, you think if T.J. Watt signs a deal, Paul, he's going to be, what, four or five years? Well, if they draft a quarterback next year, he's going to have be on a rookie contract for about four or five years. So uh, that would be, I think, the target range for where you want to say, hey, if T.J. Watt is 
the baddest of the bad, and you really think that he is that good, and he's been a runner-up for Defensive Player of the Year uh, two years in a row, then, yeah, pay him and, and make sure that he's healthy and make sure that he is that you build a defense around him. They kind of have that right now. I, I'd say they still want to maybe get some depth behind him at edge rusher and also get some off-ball linebackers to pair with Devin Bush or at least one of those guys. Um, but I really think that there's uh, that there's definitely merit to pay a guy like that if you're able to build a, a great defense with him and uh, get a running game going and get a quarterback on a rookie contract who, hey, you're not, you don't have to even be elite. Just be good enough to not lose us the football game, and we'll win with defense and other, other facets, facets in this game. And we've seen teams do that. I mean, the Broncos did it you know, a few years ago with Vaughn Miller and you know, Peyton Manning when he had a broke neck. That's true. Well, Chris, I appreciate you uh, taking some time and breaking it down, and I hope you have a, a really good weekend. Thanks. You too, Paul.